This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonish Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Irokti, a yen of Chacht Erechor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientalem again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Well, as soon as Luke Fitzgerald predicted a 15-point odd last win, I was certain, deep down Lump. in my heart, that Ireland, <laughs> that Ireland were beating New Zealand for a third time in five years. I lumped on with my life savings in the bank straight into the bookies, and I'm a lot richer for it. I just knew at the moment you said it, like clockwork. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I apologise. Um it's an emotional hedge is what that is. It's an emotional hedge because either way I win really well. Well, I saw you, someone tweeted you and you were like, oh, well, I was going off the statistical data. Like, I know you're you're a big finance tech head now. Like, you were using <laughs> financial <laughs> jargon to explain your woeful prediction. The historical data set, it was, you know, we've, how many times we've beat, it's not, sorry, there's nothing too complex about that. We've, whatever, was that the, even including the game, it's three wins out of 34 games, I think. Correct. It's also three wins out of five. Well, sorry. Okay, sorry. So sixty percent win rate. Sorry, it depends how you look at this pose. Uh, yeah, I was using the whole data set. Well, but yeah, no. Look, it's uh, look fantastic. Look, delighted. I was wrong. Um, you know, I was worried they were going to play the way they played and get punished badly for that. And uh, sorry, just in terms of an expansive game plan, I probably, probably should have expanded on that. I thought they played, you know, very aggressively, trusted themselves, hung on to the ball for large periods of time. As much as I was very worried at halftime that I was going to be right, um, they proved me really wrong. And they were it was so good to see. I mean, New Zealand looked out in their feet at the end of it. Um, I mean, I've never seen them make so many handling errors uh, as they did in the second half. It was it was so great to see. It was like a game that it was kind of like watching Ireland the last 60 minutes if they were chasing New Zealand, you know, with kind of balls being thrown into touch, guys kind of looking out in their feet, uh, not too many ideas um, about how to break down the opposition and get back into the game. That's how they looked. Um, and I think the New Zealand media were fairly damning and they're, they're always damning when they lose, but they were kind of saying, I, I thought I saw a headline there somewhere saying that, uh, it was almost a relief when the final whistle went. Like, when have you ever heard New Zealand um, people talk like that about a game of rugby? Usually, they're ch- even if they're losing, they're chasing to the fi- to the very end. Whereas Ireland looked pretty comfortable, and I thought the pack were just. I mean, look, every- there was heroes all over the pitch. 
but the pack particularly, like generally you kind of see a game that quick, an Irish pack probably struggling in the last 15, 10, 15 minutes against a New Zealand pack who are used to playing at that pace for that long. Didn't look that way to me, Will. So it was really, really pleasing. I know it, it. It was such an impressive victory. It's what's going to make the World Cup quarterfinal defeat all the more heartbreaking. I guess, you know, I've, I've already, you know, I've already been resigned. I know. Well. We're saying, there's always that with a big performance this this far out. Like the amount of times I've been asked that since uh, since Saturday, we're already like with our doomsday predictions. Like we can't just enjoy it <laughs> for what it was. Um, look, it's great. Like you just you can only win the game that's in front of you. Um, I think the age profile of the team suggests that there's still more in this team, and they've only just really started playing good rugby. Uh, probably halfway through. Yeah, it, it's funny. Eight, like it, it like as recently as halfway through the Six Nations, it looked like this this whole era was petering out, maybe potentially. And now look at like three or four, so I've won seven games in a row, but a couple of them were in the summer. But like mm, you know, the yeah, England game, mess, yeah. Japan, and now New Zealand, like you know, three really impressive victories, and all of a sudden things just look I know there's a lot of personnel are different as well like Caelan Doris missed the Six Nations Jack Conan came into the team for the England game you know went in the Lions played really well they moved Porter to loose head that's a couple of huge you know personnel changes James that were Lyons really playing well again yeah some he, of his carries were actually a, you know he's he was a talisman for this team like he was he went through where when it was those injuries I don't know what it was it looked to me like he was trying a bit too hard like he was giving away so many penalties he looks to me like he's really back, raring. Like he's not trying to go for, you know, driving someone back 10 metres. He's winning collisions. He's happy just to get those little marginal gains, Will, versus I thought he was maybe trying for a turnover every single time he was in a tackle. You know, that kind of stuff. And I think Paul O'Connell would be a really good influence uh, for, for him. So, yeah, I agree. Like, they just look like they're very well placed to kind of keep this going now. So, geez, I hope they do now. I really hope. They, I think it's all there for them. They just got to take it with two hands and grasp it and believe in themselves, you know? Yeah, well, there's lots to get into uh, from the weekend's game and a, a testament to how big a win that was. We're joined by not one, but two good friends of the show, Rory O'Connor and Keen Tracy are here. Lads, how are you? Thanks, Will. You? Yeah, no, very good. Uh, very exciting game at the weekend. Great atmosphere. Lots to talk about. Well, I might go to you first. Uh, I'll go to my, my go-to question after a big, big weekend with a couple of days to think about it, with, you know, let ideas marinate. What, what's kind of... What's kind of keeping you engaged with it now, you know, with a couple of days removed from it? What, what's the big takeaway for you? What's kind of caught your eye? Oh, it's a good question. I, I think the, um, just the nature of the way Ireland were able to blow the All Blacks away physically and Ireland's front row in particular. I watched the breakdown, uh, which is kind of New Zealand's version of against the head uh, today. And I had uh, John Kerwin and Mills Molina there and, and they were, lamenting the fact that Ireland's front row were more skillful than the All Blacks front row, which they, they said had never happened before. And they're probably right. And I think we've, we, you know, we probably have talked about it a bit on this podcast in terms of the potential that that trio of Porter, Kelleher and uh, Furlong could bring. And, you know, we were pushing for Kelleher at pairing last year and Ulster fans were, were, were not happy with us at times. But I think we're, we're, we see now what that gives Ireland in terms of, go forward in terms of the ability to play ball. And then it gives Ireland so many options in terms of their attack. And and I think that's really what Andy Farrell will be most, well, obviously he'll be pleased with everything nearly, apart from the fact they didn't put, you know, win by 30 or 40 points, which they, the performance probably could have, could have resulted in. The fact that his, his front row are probably the most skillful in the game at the moment and most powerful at the same time, while able to scrummage, 
you know, it's a kind of pity we're not playing South Africa in this window because I'd like to see them up against that 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 front row. I think that's what Ireland are going to build their team on for the next two years as we kind of take the the next step forward. And it was those three. I thought Porter was utterly outstanding. Kelleher, his performance was summed up by that carry before the the, the pivotal Caelan Doris try. Like he just absolutely barreled someone out of the way. He got him going forward, really got clear out, and then they went to Doris, who, who had the space then to do what he did. And Furlong, from apart from the try that Ireland conceded, the first half try that Ireland conceded, Furlong set the tone physically. Keane, I think, turned to me in the press box and, and kind of remarked upon it during that first half how good Furlong had been. He was everywhere. I mean, if that's if your front row were giving you that, how much help does that give everyone else in the pitch? Yeah, certainly a point of difference. Keane, you know, I know you've been writing over the last couple of days, I think t- this morning's piece in the paper, you said like the shackles, kind of how Andy Farrell has helped take the shackles off his team. And, you know, obviously it's the third victory over the All Blacks in five years. So it's not like the, the newness has kind of, you know, gone off this kind of momentous achievement, which, you know, in some ways is probably a shame. For, for, but in, the, in other ways, you know, this was different to the other games, so wasn't it? Like the, the manner of, which they played, how they went about it. Rudd touched on a lot of it there, but it, it did feel different. Like if the 2018 performance was a very accurate one where they really shut down the All Blacks, this was more going toe-to-toe and, and, and really pummeling them against the ropes for the majority. Yeah, I suppose when you look back through the three of them, Ireland have probably played better almost with each game. Uh, you think back to Chicago 2016, getting them back to Dublin um, and how good they were. But yeah, it was for me, it was just so pleasing to see that Ireland stuck to the same principles that stood them so well against Japan. You know, like I think in, in the back of my mind, despite the fact what we, the players and coaches were telling us, there was a bit of a fear that Ireland would maybe revert to type a little bit and, you know, we'd see like box kicks and stuff like that. But I guess the point was Ireland didn't even need to go to box kicks um, last weekend because New Zealand just couldn't get into their 22. It was, it was remarkable, really. Um there was just so many stand-up formats. The sense of occasion, I thought, was was incredible. Like I was at the Aviva last Thursday for the Ireland-Portugal game, and like that felt like such a big night. And it's rare that kind of you get to go to Aviva and, and not be in the press box. And having had that experience on Thursday, I couldn't help but feel while I was sitting in the press box on Saturday, what everyone there must 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 have been feeling like because it was incredible. And it kind of started with the Hacker and in the fields of Athenroy, kind of drowning it, drowning it out. Um, it was just a special, special day. But yeah, you're right. Like the the, the performance was was remarkable. Um, I think I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it's probably one of the the best, if not the best, Irish performance we've we've maybe ever seen. Um, I know the All Blacks are towards the end of a long season, but like it's such an Irish thing to downplay your achievement. Like last week, it was only Japan, and they haven't played that many games. Every time Ireland do something good, there's always kind of someone to to sort of poo-poo it a little bit. But um, the, the challenge now is to build on it. And I think the messages coming out of the from Andy Farrell and from the players after the game, where they were all singing off the same hymn sheet, you know, like Johnny Sexton said it immediately after the game on the pitch that, you know, and I know, Will, you were asking him about it in the press conference, how they make sure that this isn't the peak because... Ultimately, it was for the 2018 team. It went all went downhill in 2019. So that's the challenge. I thought Jack Conan summed it up brilliantly. He said, uh, winning can make you soft, which I thought was a cracking line. Um, they, don't, they feel like they're at the start of their journey here with this team um, rather than at the end, which maybe was the case a few years ago. So I think it's hugely, hugely exciting. The challenge is now for them to back it up, I guess, when it, when it matters most. Like, But 
in terms of a platform to build from, I think it's 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 great. Yeah, and before we get on to how they try to back that up, Luke, you know, from your perspective watching it, you know, what what was the the standout things for you? Like, what what were you taking away from that game in terms of how Ireland played? What what you liked? Um, do you know what I reflected on a lot was um, how poor I thought the All Blacks were in the second half. And I was kind of thinking about why I, why that happened. Like, why, like, I don't remember ever seeing so many handling errors from a New Zealand team um, on a rugby pitch. I just don't ever really remember, um, you know, them being quite so poor in the basics. They're usually so good there. And I kind of thought, I was like, well, look, it could be that they, they're, you know, they've had a long season, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we all know that. And they've been in a bubble for a long period of time. But they kind of rested some of the players for that. And it kind of got me thinking, I was like, do you know what? I really think it was that first half. I really think that that was what it was. I think they had, they looked punch drunk after the, like they, they didn't really have much, uh, I really wish I had a word for it, but they didn't have much oomph, if you know what I mean. Like they had no, they didn't, it didn't look like they were able to bully us back or back into the game around 60, 65 minutes. Like they had done in the past where we just kind of tired and then they were able to kind of pick us apart. Now, they made a few breaks and there was a few nice bits of play here and there. But generally speaking, I just didn't feel like there were there. I got much from them. I thought Ireland, you know, looked like they had kind of um, outplayed them for so long. Had been so physical with them. They had so many tackles to make in so in, in so deep in their own half that they were almost kind of mentally and physically drained. They had nothing to give, and they couldn't really fight their way back into the game or find something like a toehold back into the game. So that was my lasting impression. And I think really what was so impressive was, you know, I think um, the Irish pack. They looked very superior, I thought. I thought the front row, like the lads mentioned the front row. I, like I've talked about it on a few different things or, you know, medium since the game. Um, I thought the front row and the back row completely outplayed the, their New Zealand counterparts, which I don't think we could ever say uh, against New Zealand. Like the, the back row were outstanding. Like I wasn't sure that not playing uh, Ty Byrne was such a good idea. I thought even to have him on the line out would have been, uh, you know, a big asset for us. I, I thought the kind of set piece would be really important. Um, but the game plan that we played, like Doris was unbelievable. Um, and Josh van der Fleer, like, yes, he, he kind of was the quiet guy on, the, on, on, like not many people have mentioned him because I thought Conan had such a good game too. And it's great to see him back. Like, he's made such a big impact now that he's been fit. Um, you know, kind of really, you know, capitalizing on that, you know, ability that we all know that anyone who's played close to Jack Conan knows how good he is just really needed a run of games to be honest but Josh van der Fleer was unbelievable as well like his ball carrying ability like he didn't make any kind of big breaks or anything like that over the weekend really but he just and I think that ball carrying ability I wasn't sure if that was just against Japan he'd be able to do that he was brilliant too like he made there were so many little gain lines that he made um, on the weekend as well. Like I just thought they were such a good out and really nicely balanced as well. And they completely outplayed the New Zealand guys. So they were the parts that really impressed me the most. And I think as well, one thing I will add, I know I've gone on a little bit here, but um, it's kind of hard to, to, I suppose, go through all the facets of the game in one <laughs> sentence. But it's important to know, I thought Joey Carberry looked pretty good when he came on too, because we've been really, I've been really worried about that part of the team just because of how important Johnny Sexton is to us. But coming on and getting those three kicks, I mean, that'll do wonders for his uh, his confidence, I think, 
Um, and I think it bodes really well for the team. And I think it's nearly a good thing that Sexton's injured this weekend because we get to see, hopefully, you know, Joey Carby playing in there, maybe a Jack Cardi playing in there um, behind a team that's really humming, a pack that's really high on confidence. And hopefully, you know, he can get, you know, he can, he can have a good performance behind a team that's playing like that. So they were the, the, the key things I came away with to, after the weekend, Will. Uh, I know I went on a little bit there, but I just was so impressed with them because you know, uh, you know what I predicted. I really thought that they might play a little bit of that game plan and they might get hosed because they hadn't played much together. Um, so it was so pleasing to see myself being so wrong in, in my prediction. Just uh, one person that Luke mentioned there, and one thing I, I kind of didn't, I, I thought they did well, but I didn't quite appreciate how much of a role they play. But I thought the bench were really, really good. I've written a piece in tomorrow's paper about it. And in particular, when I watched, I watched the last half an hour back today just to kind of focus on what they contributed. Like Ty Byrne, having been left out of the team, which could have, which must have been an awful kick in the the nads from because like he was he was, just came back from a Lions tour roots, you know? Yeah, back from the Lions tour yeah. so good against Japan. Where he was him. also effed over a little bit as well. Like yeah. no, I was like it was yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, he must have been feeling so he, he could have easily been feeling sorry for himself. And he came out, he won three turnovers against the All Blacks in, in half an hour of, of rugby. He won he won he won the penalty that led to one of the kicks. He won the penalty that led to the winning kick. He was really unlucky. That turnover that he got that he gave a knock on against them. Uh, the ball was slapped out of his hand by Brody Vitalik, who was on the ground. So that should be a penalty as well. So that's like three turnovers against the All Blacks in that period of time. Plus, he, he was the one who was, who was fouled by um, by uh, Ty- Tyrell Lomax for the penalty that Carby kicked to make it 26-20. Like, I'm oh, sorry, not the, the 23-20 penalty. Or, anyway, I'll get mixed up. But he won. Like, he made a significant contribution across the board. And for and, and Omahini did as well. The props and, and hookers came on and they tackled their hearts out. And like Bielan makes a, a goal line stop. It's him who gets back and gets Will Jordan after he collects the uh, the chip over the top. Unbelievable energy. He'd just given away a penalty, but he got back and, and, and made the pe- and, and made that tackle. That bench contributed so much, Carberry included. Um, and I think, you know, Keane, right, you know, for, for a very good reason, like we've been quite critical of the fact that he picked a quite experienced bench against Japan and didn't bring in the kids like, I would like to see Frawley involved. I would have liked to see a few more involved in that Japan game. Balakun off the bench. He went for that really experienced Munster core of replacements with Keane Healy as well. But I see why now. And I think we see now what he's like. They're not the bomb squad. They're not going to come on and, and explode a team away, you know, but they are really effective, really experienced. And if you get a lead through that power game that we have now, through that tight five, they're going to come on. They're going to manage that lead. You got Conor Murray. You can do can do either way. Like he he started box kicking when he came on. He played for position. He was calm. Earls made a big tackle on Savvy Reese. Like I think for big games, I can see why he picks this bench. And you know, hopefully we'll get the the, the new new blood next week that we all wanted for that for the Japan game. But I can understand why for the All Blacks. And I think it was a dress rehearsal against Japan. Why he went with that experience now, even if at the time I was a bit frustrated that he hadn't He's gone. He's got options there as well, Rhodes. I think that, like, do you know what I mean? If you think about who he can bring in there, you know, you've got guys like Baird, you've got Coons, you've got you know, there are people, and I think there will be other younger guys who will emerge. And you know, look, we hope they challenge for starting places. But that look, I think that team looks fairly settled at, at this point in most of the positions. But definitely in that bench. He can change his game a little bit, I think. Like, it looks to me, it's funny how, how, how you know, a result like this can really change your complexion about how you view where the team is. Um, we all hoped after Japan, but I think it looks like he's got a few options here and there now. I mean, if he wants to make it a little bit heavier, if he wants to go a bit more physical, he wants to slow it down, 
Like he's got Murray, he can do that with. He's got, you know, he has a few, and he's got Zebo on the bench for more of a kicking option if he wants off the wing or on the on the at fullback. He's got Earls there, you know, for a steady hand if if things aren't going well out in the wide channels. He's got Robbie Henshaw to come back into that team. So, you know, and Sheehan looks like look, Sheehan's the guy I think that I most want to see. Like if there's if you someone asked me there in the last couple of days, you know, in his, in a different setting about you know what would you do. Uh, what's the only change you'd make really to this team at this point? If you were to play a World Cup match tomorrow, like who would you bring in? And, and I and I was thinking, I think Sheen would be the only guy um, at this point that you're saying, look, that's probably the only. So like it, it's a very settled looking team. There's a good age profile bar, Johnny Sexton, uh, I think, and probably uh, Earls and Healy. But Healy, I think, but that position has changed a bit and that age will probably be, a fine, be fine. He looks in good shape. So it is funny, isn't it, how different things can look a week later after such a big performance, I think anyway. Just on, just on a bit of room, doesn't he? Yeah, like just on the bench, I think it's reflective of probably the overall mood within the squad that you have guys like that, like Ty Byrne, that he isn't throwing his toys out of the pram, like for the reasons that you said. I think there's a really good atmosphere in that squad at the moment. There's something I was touching on today, you know, when Andy Farrell first came in and the players were speaking about how they were enjoying camp so much more, like, you know, people were wondering, was it the lunatics taking over the asylum, you know, but it's actually proved to be really true. I think there's a freedom and expression in the way the players are playing. They don't, they're not afraid to throw the pass, you know, for fear of what lie ahead on a Monday morning. And I think, I think what summed that up best for me was, you know, you talk about the championship minutes, like, but like the period just after halftime, like how Ireland went in behind at the break was just, was beyond me. But to come out in the second half and still stick to what they were doing, to still trust in the same game plan, and then to score the try two minutes after halftime, like a 58-second move, which I was looking at in Monday's paper, which was just so ruthlessly clinical. And Luke, you touched on Josh van der Feer, but he had a massive impact in, in that try. He made a huge carry, flying into the breakdown, clearing out rocks. Um, that, for me, summed up the trust and the faith that the players have in the direction that the team is going in. It's all down to little nads. I was at his first uh, training session after he took over from Joe Schmidt or one of his first training sessions in Portugal at the campus. And they were playing Old Town Road on the speakers, like really, really loud, booming out from the sideline. I was like, this is the, I don't think Joe would have let this, 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 this slide. And like, the, 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 there's just this happy-go-lucky mood. He was in at the team announcement chatting to all the journalists, kind of, you know, in a, in a very more, much more relaxed manner. So when we're, we're writing the origins of this, when Ireland have won the World Cup in two years' time, it's all down to little nads and the, and the uh, the more relaxed atmosphere around the camp. <laughs> Good song, to be fair. Uh, I one thing about the game, it, it's kind of interesting now. I was watching it back today just in preparation for this, and it, it was jarring at the time, and it was a big thing at the time. But like looking back with the final result, the amount of chances butchered in the first half oh. it, from Ireland, it was actually staggering. Like So <laughs> I counted nine in the 22. So there was four Irish knock-ons, three penalties they conceded at their own rook, one New Zealand turnover penalty, and then the last line out right on halftime. I think five or six of those were like on the line as well that they coughed up. Well, can you imagine actually... if the Ioann, imagine if the Ioannis had had connected properly and it, it hadn't been a forward pass and they'd gone a point up with what was it nine ten minutes to go? Like what would we all talk about now? We'd come at a joke, you know, that they had spent you know be so dominant and, and not taking their chances. And look, I presume in the meeting rooms this week that's what they're looking at. They're looking at the, re- the restarts. It, it, I think Luke, if Lucas was a bit well. generous as well. I think uh, I I have to say. They were lucky they didn't get a yellow at some of those points close to their line. There was one or two where I felt like, mm, 
that was a really good opportunity that they kind of spoiled and they let it play. You know, I, there was just one or two of them where I thought he was, he was every, like the usual kind of stuff with the All Blacks. They kind of got away with a few very close to their line where kind of said, mm, most of their teams, that was pretty feckin' cynical, you know. So there was, a, there was a bit of that going on as well, Rhodes, I thought. And, and as well, look, as much as I do think that, you know, Ireland probably wore them down, by staying in there and kicking to the sideline, I'm, st- I'm still not convinced about that tactic about going to the corner all the time. Like, even New Zealand, now, look, I'm not even sure it made sense for them to kick that kick at the end um, to go within three versus six. Like, I'm just not sure about that. But um, I think you should be taking more of those kicks. I, I do think that. I think there's, there was, you know, there's one or two of them where you should be saying, right, let's have a go with them here. There was one with the yellow card. You're saying, yeah, look, definitely go for them there. I think that's probably a good option. But there, there was a few, like, like you've got an, an over 80% kicker there in very good positions. Uh, I'm thinking you've got to take one or two more of those kicks. Uh, I'm not sure. That, uh, the Leinster do it a lot, and I just don't like it. I don't like it. I feel like it was a bit tighter than it should have been at the end uh, for all the possession and, and territory that we had. So, I don't know what the guys think of that, of that, if there was any looking back and that thinking, mm, is that a mistake, that tactic? I, I generally agree, and it's something that we, we've spoken about in the past, but I think they probably went into this knowing that you have to score tries against the All Blacks in, in general to, to beat them. Um, and I suppose like their counter-argument to that it, shouldn't have, it should have been a more comfortable victory was that their own inaccuracies probably cost them when they were in the 22, you know? Um, you think back to Ty Furlong's disallowed try, like, I mean, that's, there's, there's not much in that, you know, in terms of Kelleher being pinged. And if they do get a couple of those scores, the whole complexion of the game is a little bit different. So they would probably say that, look, it was our own inaccuracies that left us down, I'd say. But do you I think as well with it though, like you give a really great team or good teams. I'm not sure this is a great all black team, but it's, you give it, they're very good. There's no doubt about that. Do you, you give them a chance to compete by going to the corner. Whereas if you're taking a shot at goal, the only thing that you're competing against really are the weather conditions and your own kicker. Do you know, like to score pretty much half the points that you get for a try. Um, sorry, actually more than half the points that you get for a try. 60% of the points you get for a try, plus you then got to go and convert from wherever you score the try. Um, so that's not even a gimme there, uh, unless it's close to the, po- the post. So like it's the only point, so like they don't get to compete there and you get to have a, put some points on the board. Um, maybe I'm just really conservative with that. I feel like definitely sometimes with a, you know, if you're out in the five meter channel and it's maybe a 50, 60% chance of, the, of your kicker getting it and you say, do you know what? They have a guy in the bin look, let's have a go with them here. I kind of feel like, yeah, that makes sense to me. But one's closer in the pitch from the 15, I'm saying, you've got an international standard kicker. He's got over 100 caps. Let him have a pop here. Um, You know, they don't get a chance to compete here. And at the end of the day, it's a scoreboard that wins the game. I just, I don't know. Is it something that they think, I think, I think Leinster make that mistake sometimes as well too. Like New Zealand still took those points. That time, and that tells you something about their mentality in these in these situations. Now, probably costing the game. The rights and wrongs of that I in that situation, right? But generally, they'll take points there. They'll they'll ping you. They'll build up a lot, you know, a, a lead on the scoreboard. And oftentimes, a try will come off the back of that. It's not always just pressure down that end that, that creates pre- scoreboard pressure is a thing too, and creates you know situations where teams will try something a bit more. You know, I, I just feel like they're missing a trick with that sometimes. You know, the one thing I would say about that is it's it's interesting that the guy who, you know, is making the decisions and is the one kicking at goal is Johnny Sexton. Um, and like he's been around for so long, but 
if, if he felt that strongly and he's the one doing it at Leinster as well, you know, so obviously he sees a change as well. And what I liked about it was um, that I think it was like James Ryan, who was the one kind of before half time, you know, kind of came along and said, no, as a pack, like we fancy this. And like, OK, it didn't work out. But I don't know. I admired. I have to say I admire the, the, the approach of what they're going. I know I, I know what you're saying, Luke, but I yeah, like it's, it's conservative, but I. I, I'm here for our, the new direction that Ireland are moving in, I think. Do you want to be asking someone who's in the heat of battle? Like, so you're basically asking those guys in the front eight to be like, right, for what you know, for 80 minutes, it's you against those. You're trying to punish them. Like we are, Your job here is to beat them up. Like You're pretty much asking them to take a backward step and say, no, 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 we're, we're fine. We're okay. You know, we're gonna let, let's take the three points. We, we want a little break and go back uh, the other side of the pitch. We don't think we can beat them up anymore I, I just don't know if i'd be entrusting that decision I to someone think, like that I I'd, be, I'd much rather my my kicker be making that decision i think they back their fitness though i think this this Ireland pack are really bullish about what they can do i know what you mean like I, it's also november and it's also you know it, it's not paris when when this was a big issue in paris when the six nations on the line and ireland went to the corner it didn't work out and i, I suppose it is probably the, the, the time to criticize it is after it's, it's worked out in Ireland the one really it's not to be after time and then go well that was that was a terrible decision you know because that's the easiest thing to do but I think in the context of that match and the way they felt they were superior to the All Blacks in the tight exchanges I can understand why they did it they did it in Chicago as well and it worked out in Chicago ultimately you know it's not a World Cup quarterfinal it's not a it's not a Six Nations game you you, you lose you move on it's not like you lose you go home um, I, I, I think they were right to do it at the weekend because as you say, they knackered the All Blacks out for the second half. You know, it, it worked in that way. They, 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 they pummeled them through having the ball in the 22 in their hands and that ultimately worked out in their favour. I think that's the key, right? I think, like, they had started so well, uh, like you mentioned. And, I, like, I'm more far back in a decision like that. I would wonder if they had been losing a few more collisions, if they would have been as ballsy to go for the corner, perhaps not. And Keen, in terms of lasting on those missed chances, you know, like there was talk after the game, you know, about the room they have for improvement. Is the amount of chances they missed perversely almost a good thing now that the game has been won and they won it well in the end? That there is no danger of thinking, you know, I know we we kind of said at the start and you said it that probably one of the best performance we've seen, and yet there was so many missed chances that there's no way you could come away from that as an Ireland player really and be like, we're top of the top of the pops now after beating New Zealand. Yeah, and like like I said, like that's the message coming out from from all the players. Like none of them, like apart from James Lowe, who was just like totally high on life after the game, and like it was, and it was great. He was delusional after the game. <laughs> like, he made one tackle, and he thought he figured out his defensive woes. Like that uh, is concerning to me. I, I've oh never. God. I've never been called the bollocks before indirectly, and so delighted. <laughs> you call the whole country bollocks, yeah. yeah no, I, was, I was delighted, but um, I think though, apart from that, like Low is a bit of an exception, and like Long may continue from our point of view because he's just great value. But the players were all very grounded, um, and even I liked the way that Andy Farrell didn't focus like in public on the defensive error that Rudd touched on for the for the try because like. For such a brilliant performance, it was amazing that they had such a bad error. Like that, that defensive mix-up for the Cody Taylor try, wasn't it? Was just so so poor. But like that, that will be highlighted in the review. Like I mean, the, just because the players aren't, you know, are enjoying camp life and the Monday morning review sessions may not be as kind of nightmarish as they might have been under 
Joe Schmidt. That's not to say that they're like people aren't going to be hauled out in front of the coals for things like that. And that's what you want. And I think the players will will accept that too. So it is amazing to think that Ireland beat the All Blacks by nine points in one of the great performances, yet they left a lot behind them. But isn't that where you want to be? You don't want to come away from here thinking, oh, Ireland are going to win the World Cup. And that's not what anyone is saying. It's two conversions yeah. as well. You know, that's, that's four points. You know, it would have been so much more comfortable had they gone over. Like, it's just what I thought at one stage it was going to be like that Twickenham game in 2012, where, where when after Doris has tried, the All Blacks looked done. I mean, the one thing you have to say about them is the way they, they stayed in the fight, their defense. I know they pushed the limits a bit, as Luke said. They were out. Their spirit, like for a team that's been on the road for so long, their unwillingness to die, you know, and to, to, to go away was just so to be admired. They, were, they weren't very good on Saturday, but they still came within a, a forward pass of going ahead with, with six or seven minutes to go and claiming one of the least deserved victories in their history. But you got to admire that about them. Like, they were so dogged. that Everything was going wrong for them and they were still in the game. Hmm. Luke, what about Ireland's defence? Keen touched on it there, the, the, the error for that try. But I know you the defence has been one area you've been looking at a lot or talking about a lot recently. Like, what did you make of it over the course of that 80 minutes? I thought it was brilliant. I thought the two guys in the centre were outstanding. Um, they made the jobs for their wingers and for everyone else so much easier. I mean, Gary Ringrose was just like, he's just a dog. Like he doesn't get that. Like people kind of see that right foot step and they kind of, they'll talk about that side of his game a lot. Like he's a dog. Like he's so fit. So for the fight, I mean, some of the hits, even the collisions last week against Japan, against some, some big guys. I mean, I think he's playing really, really well. I think it's great to see. I mean, even that intercept, he was sniffing that intercept. wasn't he? That, that kind of half a mistake and he was on it. But he was just in the middle of everything. And he was in the middle of everything that was good that Ireland were doing as well. Um, so I was, I was really pleased. I thought himself and Aki were excellent. I thought they led the line really well. I think any great defence generally has two centres who are purring and who are leading the line well. Um, and um, yeah, it was brilliant. It was great to see. Like, look, I'm not sure. I saw Drico saying something about that try kind of being maybe undefendable, I think was the word he used. I'm pretty sure that's not how I think about that one. Um, I still think they'll look at that and say, look, they might have followed the system, but you still have to be able to, to, to feel that little bit of time that the centre has on the ball. And you have to be able to put yourself in a position where you give him a little bit of indecision. So I think you have to be like... If I was sitting in that outside channel um, where the ball goes across me, I, I think you can probably prevent it or you can make him throw that ball higher if you hang off in a better position. If I was looking at my game and I was saying, OK, where can I improve from that um, that piece of play? That's what I'd be thinking. Um, because if, if, boys, if that ball goes higher in the air, if he still throws it, um, you know, I think what ends up happening is you end up getting your defensive guys or, the, or your cover in better positions. They've longer to kind of catch. They might catch him safe when he, when he does that chip over the top. Um, the defensive error off the line out is a once off. That's just an absolute, you know, that's a brain fart is what that is. Um, and that's, that happens every now and then. You just hope that doesn't happen in, on a bigger stage. Um, that kind of lack of concentration. Um, and it could have really cost Ireland. I thought they did. They, you know, the, the lads mentioned it earlier on. They, they gathered themselves up really well after that. But the other one, the Will Jordan one, it was a superb finish, but I still think I'd be, I'd like myself to be in a better position because I think if you're in a little bit wider, if you're kind of hanging in that space, he, as I said, he has to go higher over you. 
um, which buys your support time to get in and, 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 uh, and, and stop it maybe a little bit later on. Um, but also you can lure him into throwing that shorter one and you can still make the hit. That's what I'd be thinking about that. You don't always have to just follow the system religiously and be right next to the guys. You can sometimes buy yourself a little bit of time. Only thing I'd say about that, Will, that it was still a lovely finish from, the, from, from New Zealand. Like it was a brilliant piece of rugby. Um, and it just shows you that like, they still do have that quality and that ability to, uh, to, to, to cut you open from anywhere. Um, but that's probably the, my, my two thoughts. And otherwise, a brilliant display and very much what I, I would expect from an Andy Farrell team. I've been really disappointed with that part. Like, I mean, that, that New Zealand performance in the World Cup, you know, they shifted a load of points in that. Uh, and I really felt like maybe they were focusing on the wrong stuff. Or Andy, like Andy Farrell maybe wasn't putting as much emphasis on what he's really great at, which is still a, a brilliant defensive coach. Like you still want to have, that's, that's his real strength as a coach, isn't it? Um, so it was good to see a little bit of that, I think, out there. Uh, and they should be really pleased with their performance. Yeah, Rudd, I'd like to get your opinion on the mental aspect of it. Like Johnny Sexton touched on after the game, saying that the halftime kind of regroup, going in 10-5 down after missing all those chances. He said perhaps in the past they would have, you know, dropped their heads, lost a bit of heart. Because I just even thinking about it, a lot of the signature wins this Ireland team have had over the last six, seven years, very rarely coming from behind. They've usually built a lead, sustained it, and kicked on from there. You very rarely have to see them kind of rescue a game back. I know it was only a five-point deficit, but given the amount of chances they missed, that might have felt like more going in. You know, were you impressed with that turnaround? And did you think it was maybe interesting that he did refer to the maybe some of the growth in that area as well? Absolutely, yeah. I think you have to be. It's re- like we hear people talk about resilience. People in sports and in rugby talk about resilience an awful lot, but it's easy to talk about resilience. It's much harder. Resilience. It's much harder to actually be resilient. And I think that's a testament to Sexton's leadership. I think that's a testament to the work that Gary Keegan's been doing behind the scenes. He came in, I think it was the Paris match where Ireland lost the Six Nations and kind of lost their way. And, and, and Andy Farrell said they went into their shells. And that was on the back of the World Cup review, identifying performance anxiety as a major concern within the performance against New Zealand and, and, and the team getting spooked by the, by the occasion. Joe Schmidt used that word spooked. But during the previous year, he said they were a bit broken by the English, England um defeat in 2019 that whole process like when Andy Farrell took over he took over a pretty damaged team like a, a team that, that had lost their, their belief they went off a cliff after that All Blacks game in 2018 and never really recovered their mental strength and you know the Japan game in Shizuoka was a, just a disaster they, they lost their shape they lost all you know their leaders didn't stand up and, were, and weren't counted on that day so I think the way he's He's gone and like he didn't have much support around him when he first took over. And then when Nulty exited his stage, he was one of the people who was probably unfairly blamed for, for the, the World Cup failure um, by David Nusifora and, and that report that we never got to see. Um, but they didn't replace him directly and they didn't have Paul O'Connell on board and they didn't have Mick Kearney, the manager, on board. And he put Mick Kearney in place first. He brought him back after, after he had left the Joe Schmitz scene. Then he brought Keegan on, on, on board halfway through that, that kind of campaign because he could identify the fact that, you know, that that was a serious problem in terms of his psychology. You know, he built the high performance unit of, of, of Irish boxing. He's, he's worked with Dublin. He's worked with a lot of high performance teams over the years, and he's very, very well regarded. Then he brings O'Connell in, O'Connell in to fix a set piece that hadn't been working. I mean, he hasn't been afraid to go out and get that support. And he's also, you know, he put a new leadership group in place after that World Cup, and he's given them, the, he's empowered them to come up with their own, um identity and, and to drive things as well and we see you know you know Tyke Furlong was in there he was quite surprised to be asked but now he, he he seems to be responding well to that 
So it's a whole, you know, it's a really important side of the game, as Luke would know, because he worked at Enda for his whole, you know, for a lot of his career, I think. And, you know, the, the, the it, 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 it was kind of valued by Andy Farrell. You know, he's got Sexton there as well, who, like, you know, I've been worried about Sexton as, as, as a long term candidate, but like right now, he's so important to that team. So, no, it was really impressive how they did it. And it was a testament to the work that they put in behind the scenes to, to um, improve that element of their game. And like it should stand to them. They should have so much self-belief going into the Six Nations. Oh, definitely. Uh, Keen, the back three has been an interesting area. We've talked about it a lot in the build-up. I remember I think it was Rodi was on when I was saying that you could give me any combination of players and I'd almost be like, yeah, that makes sense. But even so, I don't think anyone envisaged Keane and Conway and Lowe as the back three that would that will beat the All Blacks, and they all play really, really well. You know, as a unit, like they they didn't seem to mesh well together. Like, is this a kind of a, a Six Nations back three? Do you think, or is there still room for other guys to potentially break in? I guess, like, I mean, the the best thing that you can probably say about how the back three are playing is no one has been talking about Simon Zebo to to get in. And when you think about it, at the start of the the month, there would have been a lot of kind of clamor for him to to get in. But like. Even like someone like Hugo Keenan, I was looking at it yesterday. <clears throat> he started the last 15 tests and he's played 80 minutes in all but one game. Um, like his level of consistency uh, on the pitch and actually like fitness wise as well, like never picking up knocks like touch wood. But it's remarkable. But he brings like such a sense of calm, I think, to the back three. Like someone like Andrew Conway, who, you know, hadn't exactly been shooting the lights out. He, he had a bit of time out of the game. Um but I think that's been one of the hallmarks of this Andy Farrell tenure. It's that he's picked guys who he believes in. You look at Jameson Gibson Park, James Lowe, Andrew Conway, just like three guys off the top of my head. Um, while other people would have been calling for for other players to be in, he has trusted them. Um, and you like you see again like how good Andrew Conway was. Like the previous week, okay, he scored the the hat trick, but. He just does so much of the unglamorous stuff. He's a bit like Josh van der Fleer. I think he, he makes others look good. Um, and that's such a good trait, I think, to have. I mean, the steal, the, when he jumped up with uh, Sam Whitelock on the restart and like knocked that back, I just thought it was like remarkable athleticism. Um, but there's a nice balance to the back three. You'd have to say on form, of course, they should be first choice. But I still think... James Lowe is is figuring out the defensive system at this level. Um, one swallow doesn't make a summer and all that, but his improvements have been like pretty pretty noticeable. But like that's not to say that he is the the finished article by any means at this level defensively. But I really like the the balance to to that back three. I think there, there's definitely no harm. I don't think we're going to see wholesale changes this week. I think some people are expecting it, but I don't think it's any harm in freshening up. The, the likes of the back three, like Rod mentioned, Robert Balakoon, it'd be great to see him getting a run, like even someone like Zebo, um, it'd be it'd be great because Andy Farrell has used the first two games like a building block, like Rod said, the Japan game into the New Zealand game. But would it, it would be nice to see a couple of the others get involved because the guys who have played over the last two weeks have certainly, I would say, cemented their place in the team. Yeah, look, what players would you like to see feature this weekend? You know, obviously, as Keane mentioned, there's likely to be a, a you know a good few changes to, to to use some of the wider squad. You know, I know you touched on Dan Sheen earlier. Is there anyone else you'd like to see in particular this weekend? Wouldn't mind to see Baird in there at some point, but um, I think Zebo should be an important. Uh, he's a he's an important piece in your puzzle. I think he gives you lots of options. I think if Keenan's out, like they still look, you know, I just don't know who I'd have in at fullback. I think he's an obvious candidate for that job. 
I love that left boot that he's got. I think he's a smart rugby player. He's a nice ball handler as well. He's kind of, you know, as low the defensive part, everyone thinks he's got to figure that out. I think generally, because he's made a big tackle on Rico Yuani, it was a pretty obvious hit to make. He just had to be brave, um, I think. So maybe I'm being a bit harsh on that side of it. But what I think he's been so good at, which I think we probably didn't see in his in his couple of, you know, whether it was a lack of confidence, whether he lost it or whatever it was, he's got that back now. And if you look at how instrumental he's been in Ireland's play, like he's popped up everywhere on the pitch. Um, you know, and I think the ball and his, his ability to release other players as well as being a threat himself on the ball, like that's been his biggest, you know, I think the biggest addition that he's got a value add he's had to the team the last couple of weeks. So, um, just to, sorry, just wanted to touch on that point that that uh, kind of Keane was making there as to why I think he's you know looks so much better. Um, I will say I think uh, I think Steve, I think Earls. I'd like to see Earls in the centre maybe just another option. I know there's three guys there who can do that job, but he's been playing second centre for for uh, for Munster. I think Ringrose looks like a guy who could do it a break as well. He looked pretty battered and bruised after that match. Um, I'd love to see them bring Henshaw back in. Just he needs some some high level rugby, but just try a few combinations. Look, I don't want to disrespect Argentina at this point, but I just feel like um, a few little changes in the pack, maybe tight burn in at six, um, would be something I might do. Give Doris a break. You know, you do need to give guys a break after two big weeks like that, particularly when they haven't played at this level in quite some time. Um, you know, just with a view with, with maybe giving himself a few more options for for uh, for Six Nations and having a look at a few more combinations. Balakun is another guy I'd agree with, like to see a bit more of. Um, and they're probably all the people that, that come to mind at the, at the top of my, my head. You know, obviously, Carby will be good to see. Carty's in there as well. So we'll see those guys. Um, and you wouldn't want to make too many changes in the pack based on that. Just a few little tinkerings, a few little combination changes. You'd like to give them a bit of consistency up front just so that they can kind of keep that momentum going because you want to give the halfbacks a chance, you know, under good conditions. That's I think that's really important for those guys. The rest of the team, I think you can just, you know, you can fiddle around with, but definitely the pack, you know, a few changes. That, that's probably all I'd be thinking in that respect, Will. Yeah, just to go back for a second, because it was a point I wanted to ask earlier, but I forgot about it until now. Luke mentioned the halfbacks there, but like Jameson Gibson Park, his, his influence and his performance the weekend, he he's in a funny position in that he's second choice at his club and he's first choice internationally, which is very, very rare in, in rugby these days. And Andy Farrell has really backed him a lot. He delivered massively at the weekend. Is he now, because obviously Conor Murray came into this window with very little game time. So, you know, at, at first we, we didn't, really know if it was down to that that Gibson Park got tonight against Japan but he was so good in that game and again at the weekend is he now the first choice tonight going forward yeah I think the best thing that Andy Farrell has done is he's made you know he's disrupted the idea of first and second choice in this pecking order that we don't apart from Sexton maybe James Ryan that it's open you know it's like the, the your challenge now is to play well in the, the derbies and in the European games between now and the Six Nations and, by the, and I think there is a, there is effectively a clean slate coming in in, in February so even if Gibson Park has played well in these two games and he has he's been really really exceptional he's really key to the way they play I do think that the, like if Murray is in unbelievable form he'll be backed the problem in the last World Cup cycle was the 10 players knew they were playing no matter what like, go back to Andrew Conway. Andrew Conway was one of Ireland's three or four best players at the last World Cup. He wasn't picked for the, for the, for the most important game. Larmer, Larmer was on the bench. Larmer was exceptional at the World Cup. But Kearney, who had injury problems, didn't get in. That has to stop. And that's something that I, that I didn't think Farrell was doing at the start. But we've seen him at Gibson Park. He obviously likes what he brings. But if he, you know, he, he was in for an away trip to Twickenham. He came back out of the team. He's been in for another big game. 
come out of the team again. They were prepping him for this. Now he has the jersey, but he has to hold on to it. He's not, there's no God given right. Like he has to, like the probably what Rodney Farrell will say to Gibson Park now is get Luke McGrath in the Leinster team. Because if you're not playing, starting all those big games between now and the Six Nations, and Conor Murray is, and Conor Murray blows the door down, well, then he's going to get the jersey. So, like, even players who are playing as well as Gibson Park, who at the moment, if they're playing next week against, if this was a World Cup quarterfinal, semi final, final run, and there was a semi final next week, you will pick Gibson Park because he's in form right now. But I don't think he's, I don't think anyone in there, apart from maybe one or two, have that status and that status is damaging because then that breeds comfort and players can't be comfortable in that environment so i look he's been brilliant and he as i say if you're playing if it was if it was a big game this week and, and you were picking the team to win that big game he's starting but certainly i don't think there's very many in there who can say i'm definitely gonna be playing and come six nations next year yeah, and that's how you want it, as you say. Keen, it wasn't the only big rugby story of the week. The other women's team as well, getting the win against USA on Friday night. But the week was dominated by the very fractious, I suppose, relationship between Anthony Eddy and the players. You know, what did you make of it? Obviously, Keena Maloney sent that tweet and got backed by a lot of her teammates. You know, awful preparation for a test match. But obviously, it sparked a conversation that a lot of people think needs to be had anyway. Yeah, um, I was on the call last week with um, with Anthony Eddy. Um, yeah, like it was strange how it worked out because there was only really a couple of us on it, um, which in hindsight, like there would have been a lot more people on it if they'd known kind of what was going to come. And he kind of stuck to the, the party line um, throughout and then just kind of kept chipping away. And then at the end, like pretty much just laid the blame um, at the defeat of the players who like, by all means, have accepted their fair share responsibility as well. So, look, I think it was disappointing um, for it to be done. The week of a test match um, was even more disappointing because we probably hadn't seen Anthony Eddy for for a while. Um, it was a massive distraction, but you know what? In going forward, it, it could be it could be a blessing in disguise because, like you said, it's a conversation that that needs to be had, but. Like there's a huge amount of disillusionment in the current squad uh, within the ex bears. Like I've spoken to a couple of them. I was at the game last week against uh, USA, and they did well to win. Like I mean, but there's an element of that. You know, this can't be papering over the cracks in terms of the the bigger picture stuff. Just before we came on air to record this, um, I was on a press conference with Kira Griffin, who's retiring as Ireland captain at only 27, which it's crazy, really, when you when you look at it in black and white, but it's probably like, and, and it's even more disappointing that she's, you know, a person who's given so much to her country is retiring sort of under these circumstances. Now, she did say that the events of the last week, you know, didn't influence her decision, but, you know, she has had to cop a lot of flack, like as the kind of the figurehead of this team, like she's been asked questions that go far beyond the remit of an, an Ireland captain um, like because you're talking about structural issues that go back to for donkey's years like even I heard Fiona Coughlin last night talking about it and that she you know she was looking through old emails and it's the same old issues that are going on so look Anthony Eddie's been in the role since 2014 Um, I think it is seven years it's a long time um, but you'd have to say it's very difficult to see what progress has been made, particularly with the, the 15th game. 
Yeah, Rod, I know you were covering a lot and I think you pointed out it, it takes a big rugby story to take an Ireland All Blacks game off the back page of the end of the week of that game. Uh, it really was a remarkable sequence of events. I know you were kind of collating all the tweets that were coming in uh, from the various players and former players. Like from having talked to them, I know, you know, like that it, it's tough for them to come out and speak. Like that's what the Clean and Maloney tweet, I suppose, was, was getting so much attention. It, it's, it's, it's a very difficult position for players to come out and, and be talking about their bosses ultimately, isn't it? Absolutely, and and from talking to players off the record, they're afraid to come onto the record to, and talk about these issues properly because they feel like their international careers will be over. So for Clean Money to do that was was brave, you know, it was really really brave, and it took a while for our teammates to figure out how to back her. I know there was some talk within the camp of a of a unified statement, but ultimately that team do not feel supported by the union that 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 is responsible for them, and they are amateur players. They are amateur players who were suffered a massive disappointment recently. They, take, they will live with that disappointment forever. But Anthony Eddy and the people around him are not showing the urgency needed that we would see if the men's team didn't qualify for the World Cup. Imagine what would happen. Imagine the kind of talk we would have. Instead, we're, you know, it's, it, it's been laid at the blame of the players who've had resources, quote-unquote, thrown at them over the last couple of years as if they should be grateful for the fact that they've been given adequate training facilities and good preparation and good support. Like the earth, this should be when the, Philip Brown is retiring at the end of the year. It should be one of the top priorities, if not the top, for the new CEO to build the structures around the women's game so that, that at every level, girls and women can thrive as rugby players in Ireland. That a girl at 18 has the same opportunities to win for Ireland, to win for their club, maybe for their province. There's a big question as to whether province or club is the way to go. I would say club is the way to go with the women's game. But anyway, to come back to it. That an 18-year-old girl can, like, currently there's no academy for girls. There's no under-20s team for girls. There's no pathway other than through the clubs. And if they're any good, they get pulled onto a sevens program. That's no use to their 15s um, 15s uh, career, really. They get taught, they're, they're being told to go, join, like, they might be from Cork, but they're being told to join Dublin clubs. So they're robbing clubs of, of the, their best players and bringing them up and hothousing them in Dublin. And the Dublin clubs benefit. There's so many issues. It's, it's, it's a podcast in its own right. It's structural. The, the team failed. The team know they failed. The team are absolutely heartbroken. They will, they will be accountable to themselves for the rest of their lives. But the people who are accountable overall, the professionals who run the game, don't seem to be holding themselves accountable. And I think that's the issue. And that's why Clean Maloney spoke out. And that's why and people are like, not enough people came to the game. Like 2,500 people went to watch the match. But it was 50,000 the following day. The people who were outraged, like, and who were annoyed because we saw the, the traffic that that story generated last week. People were engaged by it. People were interested in it. But then not enough for coming to actually watch these teams play. I, I covered two AI, women's AL games last month. You know, there was a handful of people at, at each of them. You know, this, this, this is a... But then there's 100,000 people... Sorry, there's a million people watching England's women's team play last week because it was on free terror TV and it was built properly. Sorry, I'm starting to ramble slightly. But look, there's, there's potential there if it's harnessed. The RFU have two reports ongoing. I mean, they've been running this for years. They know all the problems, and yet they have to have reports. They're going to have reports into the reports, you know, by the, by the end of all this. It's, it just needs action. It needs to be, it needs a proper club structure. It needs underage structures for players to come through. And the players who are in there need to feel like they're not being blamed for, for everything because they're putting, like Kira Griffin's putting her family first. You know, she's 27. She's, she's stepping away from the international game. She probably would have done it after the World Cup next year. But that didn't happen. And, and she'll, as I say, she'll have to live with that for the rest of her life. It's just so disappointing because we see when, when Ireland get itself together as a rugby nation, on Saturday we see what that means on the men's side. We're able to beat the greatest rugby team 
in, in the world, in, in the history of the game. The women's team currently are below that potential in part because of their own performances and the fact that they, they choked that tournament and they would say it themselves, but also because the structures beneath them are not good enough and they're playing with a hand tied behind their back compared to the, the good, the, the, the well-run nations like England, New Zealand, France. You know, they lost the teams they should have been beaten in that tournament. They'd admit that themselves, but I think we should be aiming higher than that anyway. And this needs to be fixed now if we're going to qualify for the next World Cup, not have just talking shops and reports and on all these things. It needs urgent action now. You think back just to, just to touching that, like you think back to Ireland's rod, like when Ireland got a chance to host the Women's World Cup a few years ago, like you think about how much the ball has been dropped, like since then, because like what an opportunity that was. Now I know, like that World Cup went horribly wrong for Ireland, probably almost for the same reasons that we're talking about now. But what a platform that was to build on. Yet here we are in 2021, still talking about the same issues. That were that were prevalent back then, and also back when, like I said, when Fiona Coughlin was coming through as well. So, if it doesn't happen now, it's hard to see when it will happen. Yeah, as Rod said, you probably need at least one full podcast, probably a full podcast series, to, to get through all the issues. But hopefully, in the near future, uh, both men and women's teams can be fighting on the same front and, and hopefully achieve a lot of success. But for the moment, Rod, Keen, Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, folks. Cheers, lads. That's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen to independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.